It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. It is our first day of fall, so I guess whatever that means, uh, congratulations. I I like fall a lot, so uh, that makes me excited anyway. Hope you're doing well out there. Scott Foster here. We've got uh, Susan Littlefield on the line along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Broken, who had a birthday this weekend, but we're not going to talk about that. Susan, (laughs) how are you doing? I am great. I love fall, so bring it on. Absolutely. I'm with you. What do you got for us today? Well, there's a lot of things happening. Dave is going to step in at 1219. He ran into some Cambridge FFA kids over the weekend, and a few of them are getting their American degree, so he talks a little bit about that. Uh, Shaley Peters is on the road today. She is at the NRD annual meeting going on in Kearney, and the first one at 1245, she talks about uh, all the flooding that we received this year and talks to John Winkler. He is the flooding go-to guy for the NRD. He covers a wide span, so he'll bring us up today and all that. Then she steps back in at 117 with Craig Dickerson from the NID as she talks more issues that they're dealing with in today's meeting. All right, very good. Boy, he's been busy if he's the flood guy, that's for sure. Yeah, Gee, whiz. very much so. All right, thank you so much, Susan. Have a good day. You. Yeah. And we turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. Now, I remember the last time, if I remember right anyway, the last time college game day was in Lincoln, uh, it didn't go that well. It was 2007. USC, I believe, yeah. was the opponent. They scored a touchdown on, I believe, the second or third play of the game. Might have been a fullback trap. Yes, it, you're right. Uh-huh. Was that <laughs> was Zach Taylor the quarterback then, maybe? I don't, yeah, I don't remember, but it wasn't. I know we didn't play well, so, yeah. Nope, and that was the beginning of the end of the Callahan, Bill Callahan regime. regime. But, uh, but everyone's excited about this Saturday with college game day being there as Nebraska takes on Ohio State. Uh, Ohio see. State is not been tested <laughs> this year wow no. wow they're they're putting them up numbers but folks will say the huskers gave them issues a year ago right? and in columbus although i think last year ohio state was looking past nebraska a little bit in that one and i'm still wasn't buying haskins i think this quarterback's better than i had then so. yeah and uh the huskers right now i think about a 15 point underdog in this game at home ouch, ouch. but uh we'll see okay i I can't get excited for this. I've just been there too many times. Yeah, and we've been we've been <laughs> heartbroken too much. So. From what I've seen of Ohio State this fall, they're really really good. They they didn't need 700 yards in total offense to barely beat Illinois. Yeah. We'll see. Could we'll, be interesting. We'll talk about this all, all week long. Also, big breaking baseball news mm. within the last hour: Ned Yost has decided to retire as manager of the Royals after a long run. Some, some ups and some downs, mm-hmm. but he, he pushed all the right buttons. Two years they went to the World Series. Yeah, he, wow, what a job he did then. So, thank you, Jason. All right, we turn it over to Bob Brogan, and how are things going today in the business world? Well, stocks are a little bit higher, and they're being led by technolo- technology companies and makers of household products. The market turned higher in late morning after wobbling lower earlier as investors digested some weak economic figures out of Germany. Meanwhile, the one-week-old strike by General Motors workers could force the company to close more factories in Mexico and uh, Canada. And Samsung's folding phone is finally hitting the U.S. Samsung will start selling the nearly 2,000 Galaxy Fold, a phone with a screen. And lots of folks are saying it's flipping sweet. 
Very nice. Good alliteration. And that's all coming up on Midday. Covering agriculture is a big commitment. When KRVN takes you on the road for agriculture, you might hear us reporting across town, across the country, or across the ocean. We thank our equally committed on-the-road sponsors. The Nebraska Corn Board. Nebraska Land National Bank. And the Nebraska Soybean Board, powering our ag news travel aboard the KRVN Soy Biodiesel Pickup. On the road for agriculture. Because it's a big story. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with me, and uh, things got uh, a little chilly. Felt like fall. Felt like the first day of fall. Exactly. Uh, many areas in western, west central Nebraska getting down into the 40s last night. We had some upper 30s in the Nebraska Panhandle. Mm. At least the northern half, Shadron and Alliance, had our state low. 36. Really? Yeah. Getting oh a little close to some frosty levels there. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> you can go ahead and kill the bugs. If it wants to do that real yeah. quick, I, I'm happy with that. But fall is it. I love fall. Fall is it. The temperature wise, such a good time. Yeah, here. a good time for temperatures. And of course, the humidity lower. We're getting a good taste of that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like it will be heating up once again for tomorrow. But all in all, Pretty pleasant for weather this coming week here. You know, and, I, and one of the things I've noticed about fall, too, is is uh, I think fall is not quite as crazy. It doesn't have the shifts that spring does weather-wise. Yeah, it, yeah, it does tend to, mm-hmm. tend to be a little uh, crazier. Yeah, severe weather, you can yeah, you can get everything from severe thunderstorms to a blizzard in right. April and March. Though. Right, right, right. Okay, <laughs> okay. you got to straighten out. Thanks, Paul. You betcha. <laughs> right now we do have readings into the, mainly in the low and mid-70s across the area. Still a few locations in the upper 60s, such is Ord, Hastings, also Imperial, and McCook. But once again, most of us in the low and mid-70s, as warm as 77 right now in the Hebron area. Uh, Very comfortable as far as uh, humidity goes. A lot of the dew points on into the 50s right now. Even some upper 30s to low 40s for dew points as you head into the Nebraska Panhandle and northeast Colorado. But most of us with dew points in that comfortable range in the low to mid-50s, so not too humid across the area. Today, the first day of fall, sunshine with temperatures about 5 to 10 degrees warmer than normal. As we see a ridge of high pressure edge its way in from the west. Low pressure will track across the southern plains and lead to a small chance of thunderstorms in north-central Kansas later on tonight. Just to end up cold front tomorrow, our temperatures... The warmest of the next seven days, as much as 15 degrees warmer than normal for tomorrow. Some scattered thunderstorms expected along that front late in the day tomorrow afternoon into central and eastern areas, but the better chances of any rain closer to some low pressure well to our north. All in all, just a small chance of some thunderstorms on a hit-and-miss basis for central and eastern areas for tomorrow. Behind that cold front, Wednesday and Thursday will be dry with some seasonal temperatures. Thursday looking to be a breezy to windy day as we sit between departing high pressure and low pressure developing over the high plains. Thursday night into the first part of the weekend, the potential to be a little more active as some low pressure tracks across the plains due to the uncertainty of the exact track of that low there are mainly some small thunderstorm chances thursday night through saturday sunday will be dry and warmer with highs in the 80s with the building ridge of high pressure for that long-term forecast a ridge of high pressure over the eastern u.s will result in a likelihood of warmer than normal temperatures for nebraska kansas and the central and eastern u.s this weekend through the first six days of October, so the end of the month and first part of October, looking to end on a warm note. Near normal to slightly above normal rainfall is expected this weekend through October 6th for Nebraska and Kansas. That higher chance of more rain towards the Dakotas and Minnesota. 
Weather factors in the markets include rain to slow the Midwest harvest and a mixed rain forecast for soybean areas of Brazil. The next several days, much of the U.S. will continue with above normal temperatures. Cooler air will become established across the northern U.S. and expanded coverage over the west. Five-day rain totals could reach one to three inches towards the upper Midwest due to some late week rain. Crop areas of the western Midwest will see some heavy rains later this week. The upcoming rain and some moderate to heavy rain this past weekend will keep the flooding risk high. The eastern Midwest will have lighter rain and better weather for crop ripening and harvest. All of the Midwest expected to remain frost-free for at least another 10 days. This coming weekend in Montana, though, cooler with a light freeze possible. Also a chance for some frost in central North Dakota corn and soybean crop areas in the Canadian prairies by this weekend. A season-ending freeze is expected to occur through most of Alberta, West Central, and Northern Saskatchewan. For the Southern Plains, Central and Eastern areas will have a periods of thunderstorms, some favorable moisture for winter wheat planting. Western areas of the Southern Plains will remain dry. Central Brazil, a mixed rain forecast in the next week. Mato Grosso, only seeing light isolated rain and very warm to hot weather that will not favor widespread soybean planting, but Mato Grosso de Sol and Piranha have heavier showers in their forecast and some better conditions for soybean planting. All right. Well, the Canadian prairies finally shutting things down pretty soon. Yes, season any freeze there, maybe some frost on into uh, Montana and the Dakotas over the weekend, but none of that getting too close to our area for the time being. Especially not tomorrow, huh? It's going to be pretty warm tomorrow. Yeah, 15 degrees warmer than usual. the first full day of fall going to feel like summer. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, just to confuse this after I just got done saying not the big shifts. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate where to go check in on your weather. KRVN.com. I'm Dave Schroeder at the Cambridge High School football game this past Friday evening. They recognized the recipients for the 2019 American FFA degree from the Cambridge FFA chapter. And I got a chance to visit with the recipients. Before the game, I chatted with Dylan Sayer. Dylan is studying John Deere Ag Technology at Southeast Community College at Milford. He plans to work at Landmark Implement as a service technician upon his graduation. And Dylan tells me a little bit more about his SAE project. So I had a SAE do FFA for raising goats. And I had to maintain record books all throughout high school and in the last two years since I graduated and apply for it back in uh, the spring and go listen to them critique it and make the changes and then they finally accepted it. So in end of October, I will get to walk across the national stage and see my degree. Tell us about your GOAT project a little bit. Uh, currently, I raise 20 Nubian dairy goats and about 30 boar goats. Well, you have a mix of dairy and uh, meat goats. So uh, what kinds of challenges have you had to overcome in raising these uh, two different types of goats? Uh, for one, the behaviors are way different, and the diets are actually extremely different, even though they're both goats, which is very strange. And then I just let my boar goats roam freely, so it's kind of a challenge catching them and walking them when I had to. Dylan Sayer, who is a member of the Cambridge FFA, who will be receiving the American FFA degree in November in Indianapolis. He will be joined by Kayla Muse. Kayla is currently a student at the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture in Curtis, and she talks about her current pursuits. 
I am currently a student at the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture majoring in Ag Education. This is my last semester at the college and I'll move on to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And so your plans after that? Hopefully come back to Southwest Nebraska and start a career in Ag Education being an Ag Teacher and FFA Advisor. Tell us about your SAE projects you've had in FFA. My SAE that I'm most proud of is my small herd of Black Angus cattle. My dad helped me get started and I've loved working with cattle my whole life. I was out there about two weeks old working with them so it's definitely been an experience and I'm proud of my little herd. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you hope to teach in Southwest Nebraska. Tell us about your FFA years. What are some things you enjoyed most about FFA? I love the leadership aspect of everything. Um, I was the president of my FFA chapter, so that was probably my most favorite events and everything, just watching the students grow and gain their own leadership experience and spread, and spread their wings and learn how to lead others and uh, just watching their passion for agriculture continue to grow. Caleb Muse, along with Dylan Sayer, both of Cambridge, who will be receiving the American FFA degree. That will be conferred during the 7th General Session of the 92nd National FFA Convention and Expo on Saturday, November 2nd in Indianapolis. Recipients receive a certificate and the American FFA degree key in honor of their accomplishments and dedication to the FFA. Congratulations. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in studio, and a young Husker uh, had a very nice night and getting some awards for it. And here's a guy who's been as good or better than advertised. Yeah, uh, Wandale Robinson was honored today as the Big Ten's Freshman of the Week. He needed to be after accounting for 186 all-purpose yards and three TDs. And Nebraska's come from behind 42-38 win over Illinois. Robinson hauled in eight catches for 79 yards and two scores while rushing 19 times for 89 yards and a touchdown. That was good stuff. If we could just kick now. If he could just kick the ball, we'd <laughs> he'd be all around. Or block the edge. I mean, a lot has been made. You're right. A lot has been made about the issues with the kickers, and that's true, but the blocking schemes up front haven't been the best. No. You you know you got a guy back there that maybe doesn't get it off that fast. Hold your blocks a little longer, please. Another Husker news, and Nebraska's game on October 5th will be a 3 o'clock kickoff on that day against Northwestern. Of course, this week the Huskers will host Ohio State at 6.30. The Big 12 on ABC and ESPN has announced today that K-State's Big 12 Conference home opener against Baylor on October 5th. That one will kick off at 2.30. Of course, this week, Wildcats have a big one against Oklahoma State. Well, Ned Yost announced today that he is retiring as manager of the Royals, effective this Sunday after the season finale against the Twins. The all-time winningest manager in franchise history and the first manager to lead the Royals to consecutive World Series appearances will finish his career 32nd on the all-time list in games managed, 2,544, three more than Hall of Famer Earl Weaver. Yost will also finish up his managerial career 45th and all-time wins. Yost, who's now 65, led the Royals to a 22-9 postseason record for a 700 winning percentage, which still leads all managers who have managed at least 20 postseason games. And his 2014 club was the first in Major League history to begin the postseason with eight consecutive victories. Where does he finish in the pantheon of managers for the Royals? Is he top 
10, 5? I suppose top 5. Okay. Now, there's been a lot of losses there, too. I know. But when that entire bunch came together, mm-hmm. and he didn't have to make tough decisions when it came down to the 7th, 8th, and ninth That's inning, true. where that was already it's lined set. up, uh, you know, it, things worked. Okay. So, uh, hopefully he enjoys his retirement. He had a good run with the Royals. And on Saturday night, the UNK volleyball team stayed undefeated with a sweep of third-ranked Washburn in Topeka. Head coach Rick Squires says winning like that over that kind of opponent is a great sign for the Lopers. I think at the end of the night when you stop and think about the fact that you were able to beat them, then, then maybe you've got to kind of look at your own team a little bit differently too and maybe start believing that uh, if you can keep growing and and battling and, and getting better, then you got a chance to be pretty special yourselves. And you know, Scott, I, I've thought that since doing the match mm-hmm. when they beat Wyoming about a month back. This this will be a big year for Loper Volleyball. They're 2-0 and now in conference play. They'll host Newman on Friday night. We'll have that match on Friday night over on the river. What a great program Rick Squires has yeah. made there. Boy, that's something else. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. All right, thanks, Jason. Time for us to take a look at uh, the news going on in our area. Dave Schroeder in studio with me, and uh, just some sad news out of North Platte. Yes, the North Platte Police Department is investigating a shooting involving young children that occurred just a little bit more than an hour ago. Officers were summoned shortly after 11 a.m. today on a report of an 8-year-old boy accidentally shooting his 4-year-old sister. Upon arrival to the scene, North Platte Fire and Rescue transported the four-year-old victim to Great Plains Health in North Platte. No other information was available, including the condition of the girl. A man died after his car collided with a recreational vehicle at a highway intersection in Phelps County. It occurred around 8.15 last evening, about four miles south of Elm Creek. A car didn't stop at a stop sign and collided with an RV on U.S. Highway 183. The car driver identified as 39-year-old Toby Spaulding, who lived in Holdridge. The patrol says the RV driver and his passenger were not injured. Meanwhile, the names of three people who were fatally injured in that multi-vehicle collision on I-80 last month Friday has been released. The state patrol says traffic had slowed down around 3 p.m. for construction when a semi-trailer plowed into the rear of a line of vehicles near the Gibbon exit in Buffalo County. The names of the three fatal victims identified as 37-year-old Ryan Vanasek of Schuyler, 50-year-old Daniel Seelhoff of Lincoln, and 54-year-old Scott Gaylord of Lincoln. The driver of the semi was not seriously injured, and the accident continues to be investigated. Former White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be a special guest at Governor Pete Ricketts' third annual steak fry hosted by the governor's campaign. It will be held Sunday evening, or Sunday afternoon, actually, from 3 noon to 3 p.m. at Arbor Lodge State Historical Park in Nebraska City. The U.S. Geological Survey says two earthquakes were recorded near the Kansas-Oklahoma border. One earthquake with a 2.7 magnitude recorded early Saturday, 12 miles west of Perry, Oklahoma. The second earthquake, a magnitude of 3, recorded around 4 miles north of Caldwell, Kansas. It's been a while since we've talked about earthquakes in that area, Absolutely. It? There's there was... been a few popping up here mm-hmm. lately, and of course... 
they're looking at the possibility of the, of the fracking mm-hmm. issue that right. uh, could be involved. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Dave. Joining you from Carney, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and I get to visit here with John Winkler. He is the general manager of the Papio NRD there in Missouri, and we're going to talk flooding. We've talked a lot about it on the air from several different perspectives, but we're here at the NRD's um, annual conference, and this is the one thing that you really presented on today. John, just give us kind of an update. You have been dealing with this are still dealing with this give us kind of an update where you're at yeah so obviously the march event was uh severely you know as like extensive in our area to the omaha metro area and so our infrastructure was battered pretty well so well right now we're in the process of repairing all of the major breaches which we do have done um, we're looking at some other facilities and infrastructure that we're fixing now but our big issue is trying to get everything fully repaired before the spring of next year and obviously, with all the, we continue to deal with high water in the Missouri for uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, all summer and uh, probably up until November. So it's starting to shrink our window of time where we can get these repairs done, get this infrastructure fixed, and waiting for the next event to occur. So um, that's been our focus. Everything you know since the flood, we're obviously in the recovery mode uh, and the replacement mode, and um, so we're we're doing the most we can, the best we can. We just need the weather to maybe cooperate and dry out for a little bit. So waiting for. The next event seems like it could almost be the theme, especially in your area, because it, it seems like you just start to kind of get recovery underway and then something else hits. What does that look like moving forward? You did mention you're running out of time, and we are here um, at the NRD's annual conference, and so what you presented on maybe to them as right. well, more specifically. Right, so we, I think we call it the new normal. We don't know if this is just a pattern that we're going to be in for a while. Um, the forecasts for this winter and spring are already not looking promising as far as cold, snowy, um, wet, uh, similar to what we had this year. So um, if those forecasts hold up, um, we are not even close to being prepared for another event that occurred this spring or even, even a lesser event. Uh, there's just so much infrastructure that's damaged or weakened. Um, and so that's what I mean when we run out of time. We just might not have time to put all the pieces back together. Uh, before the next event. And, and there's a lot of private infrastructure. There might have been old ag levees or, or old um, you know, berms that did provide a level of protection for years, but this particular 500-year event totally destroyed those. And so they're gone. And so no one knows how the system's going to react now because no one's experienced this. I've had guys with the RNRD for 45 years and, and you know, talked to some of the, the people that have been around for 70 years, and they've never seen anything like this. So no one knew how to respond, and no one knows how to respond. And uh, so that's our challenge is what's the new normal, and can we get everything pieced back together to, to meet that new normal? As we talk about infrastructure, and you and I visited ahead of time about this, um, it's been very unfortunate to see some of those issues exposed to the level they have been um, because of this 500-year event. Mm. And so what are the, some of the things um, that you're seeing now, looking back, some of the things you're learning from moving forward? Looking forward, we need to move faster um, when it comes to um, not only rebuilding but improving uh, our levees, our reservoirs, things like that. Um, we can no longer have an environment where we wait for years on end to get permission and permits and all those things uh, to get this infrastructure built. And uh, there has to be some new management techniques, I think, not only at the federal level but the local level. Um, and we need to, uh, to make sure that we're doing things much more efficiently and, and, and uh, quicker. It's just, 
we're running against time and as you mentioned in our conversation too this event happened so fast there was no time to prepare um, in 2011 we had a month to prepare and to get ready and we knew it was going to be a, an event um, but this one it was just happened in a matter of days or hours and so there was no time to, to do the things that you could do to mitigate any of the, the, the flooding so that's what we need to be we need to be much more efficient we need to be much more effective and we need to get things done quick as far as the NRD level, and you um, mentioned your location and, and some of the people you've worked with have been there a long time, mm -hmm. certainly seen um, events happen, maybe not to this extent, though. What are some of the things the NRD uh, is focused on right now? I know we've talked a lot of infrastructure, but even beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously funding. <laughs> that's always the issue, right? If you had all the money in the world, you could take care of all the problems. But so that, that's a, that's an issue that we need to, I think, statewide, um, and even if, again at the federal level, we need to put our resources into the the, the uh, infrastructure, not only the infrastructure but the techniques that have the most uh, bang for the buck. And it could be if even if it's moving people out of the floodplain, if it's um, maybe relocating levees so you give the the rivers a more of a more free roam in their normal floodplain. Um, all those things need to come into consideration, and we need to partner. It's not only the NRDs, but we need to partner with the state and the locals and the federal government, and we all need to do this together. And it shouldn't just fall on one entity or one, uh, or you know, one branch of government. And I know, you know, for example, the core is completely inundated with requests for repairs and and uh, new projects, and they simply just can't fund everything. So I think it really has to be uh, a coordination of all the entities together. They all have to take a piece of the pie. All right. Thank you so much, John Winkler, General Manager of the Papio NRD talking some flood aftermath, what we're doing going forward. From Kearney for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. It is time for us to take a look at uh, the business world a little bit and see what's going on in the stock markets and uh, around the world. And uh, things red in around the world in the overnights, except for Japan. The Nikkei was up 34. Otherwise, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 211 points. The FTSE in London down 18. And the German DAX index, after having a relatively good week last week, started this week down 124 points. Here in the United States, kind of surprisingly, green across the board, despite uh, another uh, another problem with trade and trade not moving forward and... Uh, some different things happening with the president. We'll see how that long that stays up. But right now, the stock exchange, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, up 47 points. The NASDAQ was up 12, and the S&P up 4. Bob Rogan in here with more. Stocks are a little bit higher, led by some uh, movement by tech shares. Stocks have edged higher, and uh, the market wobbled lower at the start of trading as investors Look through some weak economic figures out of Germany. Healthcare stocks are among the biggest laggards. Bond prices are up, pushing down yields on 10-year Treasury notes. Meanwhile, the uh, U.S.-China standoff uh, kind of continues, um, and so lots of folks' uh, stocks were in negative territory to start things out, but as we mentioned, they have gotten higher. The one-week-old strike by some 49,000 General Motors workers could force the company to close more factories in Mexico and Canada because engines, transmissions, and other components are built in the U.S. Companies that supply parts to GM also will have to start cutting production. And uh, 
The effects of President Trump's standoff with China could soon result in higher postal shipping rates for some types of mail. The Trump administration is threatening to pull the U.S. out of the 145-year-old Universal Postal Union, complaining that some postal carriers like China aren't paying enough to have foreign shipments delivered to U.S. recipients. Showdown looms at a special UPU Congress that is being held Tuesday to Thursday in Geneva. Samsung's folding phone is finally hitting the U.S. Samsung will start selling the nearly $2,000 Galaxy Fold. I had to gulp just a little bit there. Mm -hmm. A phone with a screen that folds together like a book, and it's going to be available on Friday. And uh, I guess I will be one person probably who will not be running pell-mell to the store to get one because I've got a perfectly fine uh, phone already, and it doesn't uh, flip. So I was going to say, isn't it a flip phone? No, so, it's oh, no, it's a well, real, it's a it's a regular it's phone, a, okay, but it right. but it's not a folding phone. So anyway, if you want to fork out the two thousand dollars for it, I don't know what other what other features it's got, but I'm sure it's got many. Better sing and dance for two thousand dollars, and maybe make me a sandwich because that's a lot of money. And they had some major beta problems with that when they first brought it out. It was the screen wouldn't work. They must have gotten those straightened out. That could be a problem if you're selling it uh, as a folding type of phone. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Let's take a quick look at oil. Always interested in oil prices, and it looks like uh, right now they are up a little bit, and it's still under fifty nine dollars a barrel. you now from Carney for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaley Peters and I've got Craig Derrickson here with me, state conservationist. And we're going to get a bit of an update from you today, Craig, on the uh, 2018 Farm Bill. It's something we've talked a lot about in uh, several different regards because it impacts a lot of areas and it's certainly something that imp impacts uh, producers here or people here. We're at the NRD's annual conference, but um, just kind of getting an update on, on your end. Well, let's get a recap first though, because 2019, there were a lot of deadlines that had to be met um, last year around this time, and so let's get a recap there, and then we'll go into what we can expect. All right, thank you, and um, as you just mentioned, you know, the 2019 fiscal year that we are just wrapping up now was largely a continuation of the prior year and prior Farm Bill programs because the President didn't sign the new Farm Bill until December 2018 and so we were already into the program year with um, our popular programs like uh, the Environmental Quality Incentive Program, EQIP known by everyone and so there will be more new changes introduced in um, fiscal year 2020 that will begin October 1, just a month away, not even a month away, um, and so producers should be anticipating some new program provisions and some information about those programs uh, relatively soon. Let's talk about those. I know some of the details are still up in the air, but what do producers need to know? Well, a couple of things that I would say just to um, you know, try to meet up with the in interest of producers. Um, our most popular programs like EQIP and the Conservation Stewardship Program, CSP, they're going to receive good funding going forward in the new Farm Bill. And so producers that um, have conservation needs or they 
they may have some uh, issues after the disasters we've had this year um, there will be um, good funding in those programs to assist them and um, the opportunity to sign up is continuous but we have opportunities where we um, close the opportunity to rank and we award funding to the contracts we have so producers wanting to get uh, funded in 20 in the fiscal year 2020 should get into our offices now get the information they need um, and sign up for those programs you mentioned getting into the offices and that's always uh, you know the thing where else can they turn if they are really interested in these programs? These changes are not that far off. I mean, they'll be able to look through and find a lot of this very soon. They will, and on our websites we offer quite a bit of uh, program information. It isn't updated for the 2020 year because we don't yet have a lot of that uh, information from our national office. A lot of the r new rules for the EQIP program and the CSP program we expect to get um, after the October 1 year begins, but anyone uh, needing, wanting to apply, if they just get the information off the uh, website, call our offices. You know, we're going into a busy time, right? I mean, we're going to be in harvest here soon. Um, we want to make sure that the information is available out there to them, and they should just make a contact, whether it's giving a call or stopping into the office, and let our folks know what um, they're thinking about applying for. Thank you so much, Craig Derrickson, State Conservationist from Kearney for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaylee Peters. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We ended the day higher in corn and soybeans, lower in winter wheat futures, but sharply higher in spring wheat. As we talk about this with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So much has been said about uh, rumors regarding U.S. and China and further purchases of our soybeans. Maybe that was a catalyst for the soybeans, even though we closed off the highs. Yeah, I think they were looking to price anywhere between a, a wide range, 10 to 20 cargo. So uh, it's a lot of their fall needs, and they're trying to do it before the celebration starts. The Communist Party uh, has been a rule for 70 years over there, and I think that I think it's next week. Could be two weeks when the when the holiday will start. So I think they'll they're looking to make some purchases ahead of that. Um, a lot of confusion with what happened late last week. If if the cancellation of the meetings your way and up in Montana had anything to do with trade, apparently it did not. So that kind of put a little bit of the bid on, back onto the market uh, on the open last night. And then the weather, you know, we're, you guys are looking very good. But out this way, we are really wet still and uh, just faced a weekend of torrential downpours. And it looks like we're going to have more on the horizon here. So um, we're probably not going to start harvesting anytime soon. I know producers I work with in the southern part of the state uh, are starting to, starting to roll. Uh, center part of the state are a little bit behind. But up here in the north, things look very green uh, and very small. I, I think driving, I drove on I-88 yesterday, essentially from Chicago to the river, and, uh, you know, it's amazing that the producer put in what they did. The, the crop in some areas looks very, very short, and you can kind of see how, how guys were getting incentivized just to get some seed in the ground. Speaking of weather, Argentine and Brazilian weather becomes a factor soon? Absolutely, for soybeans more. So the way the Brazilian crop year works, if you're new to this, is they have a, quite a big season. So up north, they're going to plant their early beans first. Those beans will then 
be harvested, followed by corn a little bit later. That's called safrina corn. You're going to hear that mentioned as we go throughout the winter here. Down south, and I'm going to call south, it would be more like our northern hemisphere. Uh, down south in, in Argentina and southern Brazil, they plant a full-season crop that will go on the ground in a couple of weeks. So the early planting stuff is going to go in the north uh, into dry weather. Um, you know, Br- Brazil is a crazy environment as far as planting goes. They could have a really drought period and then catch 10 inches of rainfall and with their soil a lot of that can get absorbed really quickly so it's a long year ahead um, but the Brazilian season isn't starting on the best of notes and the U.S. season isn't finishing on the best of notes so between that I think the markets are well supported here on the bearish side we are at a um, I think the best level we've seen at this at this date in the year going back to 2013 so keep that in mind here with corn. Thanks John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. You can always go to their website for more information, danielsagmarketing.com. Well, that's going to do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, you can go to our podcast on krvn.com. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divini Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to Divini Chrysler Jeep Dodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divini deal.